0: All right, so this morning we are taking a break from our ongoing sermon series in the Minor Prophets, um, and this morning we're actually starting a new three-part series on joy. Um, I'll, be, I'll be preaching this series over a couple of months. Um, it's going to be spread out. I'll be uh, obviously preaching, starting it this morning, uh, but then finishing it off in October and November. And I just, I got to be honest, I am actually really excited uh, to start this series on joy. Um, when I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on next, I just asked myself, what is a core part of our faith that we just really haven't talked enough about as a church? And, and my mind instantly went to joy. Sometimes I think as a church, we think that, that joy is just a, like a, this byproduct of our faith. It's just like the icing on top of the cake of our faith. But, but that's wrong. Joy is so deeply integrated into our belief in Christ. It's such an important facet of our faith. And and so I think sometimes we take it for granted. So so I'm just really excited to spend some time really just talking about joy. And so so that's why we're going to spend a few weeks over the next few months exploring this topic. We're going to look at it from a lot of different angles, a lot of different ways. And and this morning, um, we're actually just going to be in one verse this morning. We're going to be in Romans 15 um, verse 13, I expect that by the end of this sermon, you should have it all memorized, um, so we'll, we'll quiz you after. Um, but because I'm just focusing on one verse, I really just want to make sure that everyone has context for the verse this morning. So the book of Romans is, was this letter that Paul was writing to the church at Rome. Um, Paul hadn't been to Rome yet when he was writing this letter, and so when he was writing it, he, he, wa- he gave his most comprehensive explanation of the gospel that we find in any of his letters. It's the good news about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we um, get to later on in this book, um, Paul starts to talk through, through how Christ, uh, with, with Christ, the Jews and the Gentiles have been united together in this good news. And when we, we get to chapter 15 where this verse is, immediately before this verse, Paul is he's canvassing the Old Testament for some, ver, um, some Old Testament verses to explain how God will be praised by both Jews and Gentiles. They will rejoice in him. They will find their hope in him. And then we get to verse 13, which is just essentially a benediction for the passage before it. And so let me read that for us. Romans 15, 13. I'm going to read it twice because it's small. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, as we start this series on joy, I think it's pretty important for us to start off with some sort of definition. I know a lot of us probably have our own definition for what we think joy looks like, what it is. And if you were to to Google uh, what's the definition of Christian joy, I'm sure you're going to come up with a hundred different answers. But for the most part, they're all just variations of the same truth. So as I look at the Bible, as I look at the Bible and, and see how it talks about joy, specifically as it refers to the joy that Christians have, here's what I come up with some sort of definition. I say that Christian joy is a feeling of gladness in the soul, given by God, as he reveals the glory of Christ to those in relationship with him. Christian joy is a feeling of gladness in the soul, given by God, as he reveals the glory of Christ to those in relationship with him. And that's actually going to be the main point that we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to clarify a couple things in that definition before we really dive into the meat of it. First, when I say that Christian joy is this feeling of gladness, that means that joy is an emotion. I feel like that's an obvious thing, but I think we have to state it. It's not this idea, it's not a thought, it's not a decision. It's an emotional response. We don't decide to be joyful. The difference between, a, between an emotion and a thought is that you don't have immediate control over your emotions. You don't just decide that you're going to feel a certain way. So, for example, let's just say someone breaks into your house in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, you know, you, you walk downstairs, you see him in your kitchen eating your food. Um, you're not going to logically process, okay, there's a stranger in my house, I don't know what he's there for. I don't know if he has a weapon. I don't know if he's dangerous. My conclusion should be I should feel afraid, so I'm going to decide to be afraid. That's not what happens. You're just going to be afraid in that moment. I can attest to that. (laughs) You are, um, so similarly with joy, it's an emotion. We we don't just decide to be joyful. We experience joy. Second part I want to clarify. When I say that Christian joy is in the soul, I mean that joy is is not necessarily in your body. When you have joy in your soul, it's the immaterial part of your personhood that's experiencing joy. Your body may respond to that joy. You you may have feelings of butterflies in your stomach. You may jump up and down with joy. You might have tears rolling down your face. But that's just your body's response to your soul's delight. And so Sometimes I feel like we can put a little bit too much emphasis on our response and, and how we feel physically, and that can cause us to manufacture physical responses instead of dealing with the issue of our own heart and the lack of joy that we have there. And so, so that's um, just something I, I want to clarify there. And so those are my two points of clarification, but now let's, let's dig into the meat of what it really means to have Christian joy. So today, uh, as we dig into this verse in Romans, we are going to look at where our joy comes from, what our joy is rooted in, and then finally, how it shapes our heart. That's kind of the outline I'm going to be working off of. So first, this verse, and frankly, other places in the Bible, makes it pretty clear that our joy, that Christian joy in particular, is from God. More specifically, from the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. God is the one doing the filling of joy. He is the one giving you joy. We know that as believers in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been filled with the Spirit. And as we see in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it is joy, it is peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit given to us by God so that we can enjoy him forever. And so now I don't want to spend most of my time this morning talking in this point talking about the fact that God gives us joy. I don't think that's where the nuance here is in our joy. But instead, I'd like to spend time talking through why God would give us joy and what that says about our relationship with him. It might sound a little crazy to ask the question, but does God want us to be happy? Does God want us to have joy? When I ask that question, some of you might actually be conflicted. You might be thinking, well, yeah, but but it depends, or maybe you're just maybe it just depends on the circumstances. Now, to answer that question, I think we really need to take a step back and remove ourselves from the situation. I know that's hard for us to do because we often put ourselves at the center of what God's purpose is. But let's just remove ourselves from the the situation for a second and ask that question. What's the chief end of God? What's the chief end of God? The chief end of God is to glorify himself and to enjoy himself forever. And yes, he's done that through how he has worked out his purpose throughout all of creation. But when you break it down simply, God's chief end is just to to bring himself more glory and to enjoy it. And that's important for us to understand because all that God has done for creation, redemption, salvation, restoration, God's ultimately done that for the enjoyment that he has in glorifying himself. Because if God were, were not forever devoted to, his, to the preservation, the display, and enjoyment of his own glory, then how would we ever find any hope in finding happiness in him? If the God of the universe didn't find enjoyment in his own glory, how in the world would we be able to do the same? The good news is he does. Our sovereign, omnipotent God has the power and the right to do whatever makes him happy. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10 says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So if we've established that God is sovereign and God does all things for the sake of his own glory, where does that leave us? Where does that leave his creation? Does God want his own happiness or ours? The good news is the answer is both. Those two are not mutually exclusive. God is infinite in power and might. He is infinite in wisdom and love, in grace and mercy. So what then, if we look at this, what then would God's love look like for his people? If God infinitely loves his people, greater than any being can love another, what would he give them to enjoy? Himself. Our, God's lo- our God loves us so much that what he gives us to enjoy is himself. If we canvass scripture, all over scripture, We're going to find commands to praise God, to delight in God, to rejoice in him. In Romans 15, just before this verse, we see Paul, he's quoting the Old Testament numerous times, says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, you Gentiles. God commands our praise. God commands our rejoicing. He commands that we enjoy him. So, when we ask the question, does God want us to be happy, we need to look and see what Scripture commands us to do. When he asks for praise, he isn't just saying, worship me so that you can give me glory. Worship me regardless of if you love me. Worship me with a half-heart that is only doing so because I commanded it. That's not what he's saying, because that's not true worship. That is not true praise, and that Isn't going to bring glory to God. True praise of God, truly rejoicing in Him, can only be found when your soul actually delights in Him. When your soul yearns to express its pleasure, its satisfaction, its gladness in who God is, in your relationship with God. Praise isn't just this expression of your joy but it's actually the completion of it. Our joy doesn't really seem complete until we express it, until we, until we praise. I'll explain this with, with an example, a worldly example. Andrew and I, we went to, we went to Cedar Point a few weeks ago, um, and, and pretty much every time we got off a roller coaster, we, we were pumped. <laughs> we, were, we were really excited, and we, we had to talk about it. We did. We, we just we wanted to express how much we enjoyed it. We, we praised the thrill that we were getting from the rides. And, and we were so overjoyed with excitement, I, and we just we had to share it with each other, too. And so, I mean, if that's how we felt after going on a roller coaster, let's just be honest. I mean, how much more should we be offering praise to God? The God of the universe, the creator of all things visible and invisible, the God who is infinite and power, and righteousness. And so when God commands us to praise, what he's actually saying, he's saying, delight in me. He's saying, find your joy in me. Be satisfied in me. He's given himself to us so that we can experience the fullness of joy. That's impossible to get from this world. Back to Romans, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Not just a little bit of joy, not just enough joy to get you over your next hurdle. It's all joy that you could ever need. It's all joy that you could ever want is found only and truly in him. Christian joy is from God and in God. And you might be saying, well, how come that doesn't match up with my experience in life on a day-to-day basis? if all joy, if true joy, if everlasting joy, if all the joy that I would ever need, all the joy that I could ever experience is from God himself so that I can delight in him even more, how come maybe you feel empty? Or how come when you look around this world, you desire to get more gladness from the things in this world, things like friendships or family or money, TV, vacations, sports, how come, how come your, your heart, your soul might rather get, the, get your joy from those things instead of God? That's an important question for us to answer. It's an important question for you to answer for your own heart. See, the problem is, is when we became Christians, we didn't go from zero joy to full joy when we found Christ. Our experience tells us that We didn't go from this complete complete sorrow in this world to being fully elated in the good news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Instead, we were tainted by a thousand smaller, insignificant joys. And we found happiness in those other things. Because before we knew Christ, we still sought joy. We still sought to be happy. And we found our joy and happiness in the things of this world. And, when, and so when we were then confronted with the fullness of joy, the joy in Christ, in the, the infinite, everlasting joy that we can have from God, sometimes we fail to see it for what it is. We fail because we, we keep wanting to find our joy in the fleeting things in this world. Instead of finding our joy squarely in God. And the answer isn't, the answer isn't to suppress the things of this world. It's not to suppress the joy of this world. But It's to think greater. It's to open our hearts to a greater joy. The problem is, is that we're not giving credit to the joy we can truly have in Christ. Because we are thinking that this joy that I really want, this joy that I, I really want to have, it has to come from this world. It's, 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 it's good. I enjoy it. That just means that our hearts aren't really open to what God has for us. C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased with what we have in front of us in this world. We have attempted to give ourselves quick fixes and emotional highs with the fleeting satisfaction of this world instead of seeking our joy in Christ, instead of opening our hearts to this infinite joy that's available to us. Joy in who God is and what he has promised us. Which leads me to my second point. Christian joy is rooted in truth. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What does our joy come from? It comes from believing. That's what Paul tells us. It says there's something incredibly important that Paul is saying here. He's saying that This eternal joy, this pure Christian joy comes from believing. And what are we believing? The gospel, the good news of the the life and the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, what happens when we believe? When we put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for the redemption of our hearts, when we turn away from our old way of living and give our lives over to Jesus, call him Lord, What happens? The Bible tells us that we are created new. We are given a new heart. There's something really significant that happens there. It's impossible to find your joy in God. It's impossible to find eternal satisfaction in the Lord if you don't have a new heart, if you have not been created new. Because your old heart is not a heart that seeks God. God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in believing your old self, the one that sought the passions of this world, who found satisfaction wherever it could, in money or sports, in family or friends, career or self-worth, that old self has died. The old self Who who was at the center of your universe, was at the very heart of all that you did, has died and it has been replaced with Jesus. Your heart has been created new and Jesus has been replaced as the center. And this is what happens when you believe. And so I'd like for you to to take a second to, to just think about your own heart. Evaluate your heart. Where do you stand? I'd like you to think deep, deep down in your heart, what's at the center? As we're trying to understand joy and we're trying to understand how to be eternally joyful in God, we need to look at our own hearts. And at the center, we have really two options. Either your heart's desire is to make much of you, to make much of yourself, or it's to make much of God. Do you find your joy in God because he ultimately is going to make much of you? Or do you find your joy in God because in doing so, he will make much of himself through you? Because let me be clear, if your heart's desires are centered around yourself, you will never be satisfied. If you're the heart, if you're the heart of your universe, if you're the center, you won't find your satisfaction in this world a heart that is made for God, a heart that has been transformed to be pleased by God will not be satisfied by you. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we can make much of ourselves, and it feels pretty good in our fallen hearts to be made much of, but it's still not going to satisfy us. You'll never be strong enough. You'll never be wise enough. You'll never be beautiful enough. You'll never have enough satisfaction from your relationships, your careers. You'll never have enough money. The only thing that can satisfy a heart that has been made for God is by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's been made new, is God Himself. And that is why our joy needs to be rooted in God's truth. And because I mean, let's just be honest, it would be really unfulfilling if God told us that our joy comes from things in this world. You know, things that, that maybe at most would last 80 years of our lifetime. If, if God was telling us this eternal joy, the greatest joy that you could ever get, it's coming from the things that you're going to experience in this world, the things that maybe he'll bless you with, the things that you can find. That would be really, that would be a letdown. <laughs> but instead, our joy comes from the truth of who God is and what he's done for us, the truth that that doesn't change. And since that truth doesn't change, the joy will last forever. With the joy rooted in the truth of God, the joy is always accessible. It's always there. And, and let's just like, be honest. Like, the, the truth of God is amazing. There are so many ways that we can find our joy in him. There's so many ways we can find our joy in his truth. I mean, God's truth is not some dry, uninspiring fact. The truth of God, of who God is and what he has promised, it's life-giving. It's heart-changing. It's amazing truth. I mean, truth, truth without joy, if we just have truth without any joy, it's just a fact. If we are a church that, that doesn't find joy in the truth, in God's truth, then all we have is dead orthodoxy if we don't actually desire the things, if we don't actually enjoy the things of who God is and what, what he's doing, then do we really love him? And on the flip side of that, if all, if all we have is joy or emotion that's not grounded in any truth, then what that's going to do, it's going to leave us with shallow, empty praise, that cannot and will not last. But the truth of God is something to be marveled. It is something to worship and sing his praises for. In preparation for the sermon uh, this week, I actually, I did something a little bit different. Um, I actually reached out to a handful of you uh, in the congregation. I asked you, What truth about God gives you joy? And I did give you a disclaimer that some of this might show up in my sermon. So you were warned, and it is going to show up in my sermon today. Um, But I I just I don't want you to just hear from me. I I think it's really important. Like I could stand up here and I could just be like like list off a bunch of truth of, of why I think God is really awesome and what's really awesome to praise Him for but I think there's something really awesome about hearing from you all. And so I asked, I asked people, I asked a n- number of you to just tell me what you're joyful for. And to my pleasant surprise, every single person I asked gave me a different answer. Like that's, I mean, that's awesome. If, if that is not just evidence of just how rich his truth is, I don't know what is. I mean, there is there's really no end, no limit to what we can find our joy in. So let me just read you some of what your fellow believers are joyful about. Travis, Travis said that he is joyful for the fact that God is perfectly just. In this fallen world, it would it's just so common to, to see evil and lawlessness go unpunished. And it is so easy to get discouraged or feel hopeless but just knowing the fact that, that God will mete out his perfect justice along with his perfect mercy, it's both comforting and it gives him hope. And we can be, we can be assured of that when we look at scriptures. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, the rock, his, perfect, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a, good of, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Daniel Daniel uh, said that he finds joy in the fact that God uses sinful and broken people to accomplish his will. It gives Daniel hope for his own circumstances with all of his imperfections, with just knowing that he won't get in God's way of working out his will. As we look through many examples in scriptures from David to Paul, people that were just not perfect, but God used them anyways for his glory. And so so we can just be joyful for the fact that that if we commit our hearts to God, he will still use us for his glory, no matter our failures and our faults. Molly uh, wrote that uh, God's faithfulness gives her joy. Just being able to be secure in knowing that God has chosen to love her, that he will always be faithful. And if. Uh, and I know some of you know this verse, Deuteronomy 7, 9, it was one of the first ones that we memorized this year. says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Allison uh, Lowry said that God's immutability brings her joy. Because that means that God and his truth, his promises are the only constant thing in this inconsistent world. The God who is faithful, loving, and gracious in the Bible is the same God who has been faithfully loving and gracious to her. And she knows that he will be that forever. How wonderful that truth is. And and what's even more incredible is that we are still only experiencing the glimpses of, of how loving and gracious and faithful God truly is to us. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Jameson uh, finds joy in God's sovereignty. He is able to get comfort in no matter what is happening, no matter how out of control something may seem, God has it all under his control. Everything that has happened and will ever happen is part of his plan. Nothing happens apart from his will. Colossians 1, 16-17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And the last one I have is Gloria. Gloria says that that God's unconditional love brings her joy. And the fact that even when she feels unlovable, God's steadfast love is there forever. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. When we were dead, when we had a heart that was spiritually dead, destined for eternal damnation, God loved us so much that he made us alive in Christ. And how much more will that love faithfully remain for us to take pleasure and to delight in forever? What a truth to be joyful in. So what truth gives you joy? I want you to honestly think about that right now. Oftentimes, we wonder why when we come here on Sunday mornings, you know, we sing, we enjoy each other's company, we wonder why, why maybe we're experiencing some sort of spiritual high, and then on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, we go about our day and we don't feel like we have access to the same joy. Now, I don't want to diminish the fact that, that there is something spiritual, something supernatural and amazing that happens when believers come together to worship and to praise God, and that can't be replicated on our own. It just can't. Um, like, something does happen on Sunday mornings when we come together. But the truth of what God is, of who he is, and what he has done, the truth that we can find our joy in, is the same is also true on monday morning it is on tuesday morning wednesday morning every day so do you find your joy in some musical high or some social high on sunday mornings or is your joy rooted in believing truth the truth of god of who he is and what his promises are because only joy that is rooted in truth will last My final point today, and it'll be a short one, uh, is Christian joy gives us a hopeful heart. Let us look at the the last half of this verse. I told you we're going to read it a bunch of times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In believing, you are filled with joy and peace. And then as a result, Paul says, so that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It might actually seem a little backwards or a little surprising for, for us here. I mean, surely the God of hope gives us hope in believing so that, and then that hope gives us joy. But That's not how Paul lays it out. Paul, Paul says that the God of hope gives you all joy and peace so that in your hearts, in our souls, we may then abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit feeds off each other here. God is giving us this joy so that in that joy our hearts can delight in him. It can delight in hope and eternity with God. The joy shifts our heart from looking at this world, from looking at ourselves as the center of of our lives, to an eternity of experiencing the glory of God. And that gives us hope. And our hope has no limit. Just as our our joy has no limit, our hope in this life has no limit. As we take more delights in the Lord, our hope will grow limitlessly for for all eternity of experiencing the glory of God. And so let me tie all this together. Christian joy is from God. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's rooted in truth, the truth of who God is and his promises, and it sets our eyes on an eternity of of experiencing the glory of God. Joy in the Christian life is not optional. It's not the icing on top of the cake for our faith. It is deeply rooted in our relationship that we have with God if we don't desire God, if we don't love God and find joy in his truth, then what is our relationship with him? And so that's why it's, it's really important for us to understand it. That's why it's important for us to dig deep into our own hearts and to work tirelessly for joy and to delight in God. And there's so much more to talk about about this uh, that I will be talking about in an upcoming sermon. So you know, Because we're going to talk through, through the struggles of doing this in a fallen world. Because let's just be honest, it's hard. It's hard to do this. And so we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about how, how to live our lives full of joy that God has given for us. But I, I want to close today with, with just three practical steps that we can take that, that, so that you can more fully experience joy, the joy that you have available to you. Number one, Pray. Pray that God will, that he will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This joy comes from God. And we shouldn't forget that. The Bible is full of all these commands that say, praise God. It says, rejoice in God. It says, respond with joy. And as I, I laid out this morning, I said, joy is was, was an emotion though. It's not something that we really have immediate control over, so we, we do not really have the power to immediately produce the emotions that we're commanded to in the Bible. The great news is that this is, this is from God, and God is the one who is providing you this joy, and God is the one who wants you to experience this joy. God wants you to delight in him. He wants you to be able to find him, to to come to him for your joy. And so pray to God. Pray, pray, Father, I see what you are commanding me to do. I see that you are commanding me to rejoice, but my heart isn't there right now. Please grant me what you command. Second practical step to take. Preach truth to yourself. Remind yourself of the truth of God daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes every minute. (laughs) Do not let your heart forget or get complacent. If If you want to have continual, everlasting joy in your heart, then you need to preach the truth of God that will be there forever. Take delight in the truth of God. Meditate on his word. There's a reason that that. As Gateway, we, we really, this year, we wanted to encourage the spiritual discipline of, of memorizing verses. We, I know that it's hard to memorize a verse every week. It, it's hard for me to do. I, I haven't been keeping up with it. But it's important that, that you have some truth memorized, some scripture that you can recall, that you can just remind yourself daily of what you really find your joy in. And so meditate on His word. Find your joy in that truth, that will last forever. And number three, set your eyes on God's kingdom. The fight for joy, the fight for joy, is the fight for Christ, for Christians to see what God sees. We will get lost in this world if we set our hearts on it. If we set our hearts on finding joy in this world, we will get lost. We will never be satisfied, and we will never be fulfilled. But if we set our heart on what God sets his heart on, then we will be able to find our joy in him. And so set your eyes on eternity. Set your eyes on his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for you. <laughs> we we thank you that you love us so much that you want us to desire you, that you want us to delight in you, that you have given us you to enjoy forever. We thank you that, that you don't rest until we can, can really truly find and experience your joy, and one day we will like never before when we can more clearly see and experience your glory. And so I pray for our hearts. I pray that you would help us to to see your truth more clearly in our hearts, that you would help us to to set our hearts on your truth and and enjoy it. I pray that, that you would let your truth resonate in our hearts, not just this morning, not just for a few hours, but always. I pray that you would you would be the epicenter of everything that we do, of everything that we believe, and everything that we every action we take. That it would all stem from from you, and that you would help us to remove ourselves from our lives, our situations, and and put you at the center, God. I just pray that you would you would help us to abound in joy and hope in your spirit. I just pray, Lord, that you would Um, help us to delight in you and be satisfied in you. It's in Christ's glorious name we pray, amen.